us, Lord, our Heavenly Father. One day, Jesus Christ will reappear and every eye will see Him. And the reality of what You have prepared for us will be right there with us. And we will see Jesus face to face. Lord, as we open Your Word, may these words be real to us too as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Open our hearts. Make them soft before your Spirit. Change us so that we can be effective tools in your hands to those that still do not know Jesus Christ. Use this time now through your Spirit, we pray. Amen. As we come to the last section in this book of Revelation, it's been quite a journey. Jesus promised us right at the beginning, He who reads aloud these words, and He who puts them into practice, will be blessed. And I pray that the Lord's blessing will rest on us as we put these words into practice as a church, and also as individuals sitting here, because we make up this church. And so the cry from our hearts this morning is, Come Lord Jesus! Come, I want to be with you forever. No more crying, no more cancer, no more depression, none of those things. Being with our Lord forever. Next week we're going to be tackling a few misconceptions about heaven. And so I'll give you just a little taster. For instance... What's heaven going to be like? Is it going to be one long church service? Well, come on here. What are we going to do in heaven? In this new heaven and new earth that God's going to create? Let's explore some common misconceptions. And I'll be looking at four of them next week. So bring your friends, come along, and let's see what God's Word says to us about what is lying ahead for us. In the meantime, let's get to the last section of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22 and we're reading together verses 17 to 21. Revelation 22 verse 17 to 21. I'm going to read from verse 10. And he said to me, that's the Lord, do not seal up the words of the prophecy, sorry it's the angel, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. The Lord speaks now. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
outside of the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And Jesus speaks again. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if, everyone, if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon or quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Or in the Aramaic, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all, or with you all. Amen. Now turn with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verses 1 to 9. And you're going to see an interesting parallel. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. As we read this passage, we have Moses speaking to the nation of Israel. And he's giving them commands that come from the Lord, but that they need to obey. But it's an interesting description here because with the benefit of the knowledge we've got now of the whole of Scripture, see if you recognize our journey as well. The journey we've been looking at and that we're headed towards in Revelation. So let's read these verses together. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1 to 9. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Are we not also heading to a land that the Father is giving us? You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. Now what happened there is the Israelites went into idol worship and they were openly bringing in Canaanite and other foreign women into the camps before everyone, unashamedly, and their idols. And so the Lord said, Kill them from among you. And that day, over 20,000 people were killed because of this idol worship. Open idol worship. So that's what he's referring to there. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. Isn't that a picture of His grace? See, I have taught you statutes and rules 
as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What did Jesus say? Live such lives that the world around you will see that Christ lives. There it is. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care. And keep your soul diligently. What's changed? That's what the Lord is saying through the whole book of Revelation. Persevere. Keep your soul diligently till I come. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And then he carries on and describes what they must make known. Isn't that the message of the gospel we are to take out? Isn't that the message we are to take out to our children and our families? Same thing. Let's look at what he says in this specific passage to us this morning. Revelation 22 verse 17. There's this great invitation through the whole book of Revelation as we've looked at it from the first verse. There's been this invitation. Come to the Father. Who's been bringing this invitation? Jesus Christ, the Son. And the whole of the book of Revelation describes this invitation to come to the Father. And it gives us different pictures to make us come to the Father. And some of these pictures are pictures of grace. God's love poured out on people. And some of the pictures are pictures of judgment. Those who will not come to the Father will have the consequences of their disobedience. But the invitation right through the book of Revelation is come to the Father while there is time. But there will be a time limit. When the sun reappears, time to change your mind is over. Come now while you can. And so the Son's invitation to come to the Father is real clear right through the book of Revelation. But here we have others who invite us to come. The first one here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, come. Come to the Son. Come and glorify the Son. Come to the Father through the Son. But come. And the bride, those who are believers in the faith, they say, come to Christ. Come to Christ while there is still time. We have come. You too come to the Father. Come and experience the love we've experienced. He's a gracious God. He's willing to forgive all your sins. He's willing to take them away and make your heart new before Him. Come, says the bride. That's the message we as the bride take out to the world around us. And we also say, come, come Lord Jesus, in this world with everything that's happening in it when you switch on the news. All the trouble and persecution and everything that's happening that we see in this world. Come, Lord Jesus, end it. Be merciful. 
So the bride says, come. And then this verse says, and the one who hears these words, come. Those of you hearing these words, who have heard these words in the book of Revelation, they are words of invitation to you as well. Come to the Lord. Come to this Lord who's been described. The one who stands at the right, who sits at the right end of the Father. The one who's described in chapter 1 and chapter 4 and other places in this book as the majestic God enthroned in heaven. The one who shines out light and splendor. Come to Him. And you might be going through all kinds of stuff in life. Come to Jesus Christ. Be at His feet. Find your peace with Him. Come. And any who hear these words and as are yet not saved, those who are thirsty in soul, those whose souls are crying out for something to fill them, and you've tried filling your soul and that urgency in your soul with all kinds of things in life, and you still haven't found that peace you're looking for, this passage says to you, come to Jesus Christ this morning. If you're thirsty, come and drink of the waters that are there. And you don't have to pay for those. You only have to give your life to Christ. So there's no price. And there's full price. Come to Jesus Christ. Find freedom. Find that answer that your soul is crying out for. Come to Jesus. Take this water of life without cost. There's unlimited grace to be found in Jesus Christ. There's freedom and life to all who desire to have their thirsty souls quenched. But you must come. He will never force Himself on you. Come to Jesus Christ. Yes, His Spirit will tug at your soul and bring you to the foot of the cross. Come. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. Don't think there's another day. I'll come later. That's verse 17. What does verse 18 say? There's a warning, you see. Verse 18 and 19, what does that say? I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, that's you and I as well, and everyone through the generations that have heard the prophecy of this book, what does he say? What is the warning? If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. So here's the warning. Don't add to God's word. Don't take away from God's word. Because if you do, God will bring his judgment on you. What are some of the judgments? I'm not going to go through them. I really don't want to go there today. What are some of those judgments we've looked at? There have been some terrible pictures we've seen. God says, don't tamper with my words. Who are you? I am the author of these words. 
I gave them to the Apostle John to write down. But I am the one behind these. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I've got the executive power to carry out every single promise I've made in my word. Who are you, man, to change the words of the living God? And yet, what do our liberal scholars do today? They keep modifying. They keep finding excuses. They keep finding exclusion clauses. Who are you, man, to tamper with the word of the living God? Jesus stands behind this revelation and all His promises. He's the author. And therefore He can warn. He says, don't add or take away from the words of the all-knowing God who knows what you need to hear. You are only a small human being. You see, in the Old Testament, God warned. And we looked at this passage earlier in Deuteronomy where God warned the people through Moses against the deceptive teaching of those who taught that idolatry was okay and it wouldn't affect their faith. And that's why when the people listened, they brought in the surrounding nations and they intermarried with them because they listened to the words of these false prophets who said, it's okay if you worship other gods. It won't affect your status before the living God. And they suffered the consequences of those things. Jesus says, uh, sorry, the Old Testament says through Moses that those who deceived in this way were false prophets. And you can read about that in Deuteronomy 13. And such false teaching about idolatry was adding to God's laws against idolatry. They said, like Satan did, did God really say, we say this. That's adding to God's word and taking away from it. The New Testament warned against this. We saw this in Revelation chapter 2. And you can glance back if you want to at that message to the church at Thyatira. And there are other messages too to some of the other churches. But just this one as an example. Where they were teaching the teachings of Jezebel. And they were listening to these teachings of this woman called Jezebel who seemed to be among these churches. And she was teaching about the deep things of Satan. And what she was teaching was about idolatry too. And that if you really want to know how to live before God, you need to understand the deep things of Satan as well. And now that you've got the benefit of both sides of the coin, you'll be able to live a life that pleases God. God says, no, that's adding to my word. Don't add to it. And the warning today comes to us as well from these words in this passage. The canon of Scripture, all 66 books of the Bible have been given to us. They are sacred. They are God's words to us. The words of the living God given to us in written form. And that canon of Scripture was closed at the end of the first century when Revelation was finished. And we are not at liberty to alter it by adding to it. And therefore we have people like Joseph Smith who's added to it. The Book of Mormon. We've got Mary Baker Eddy who started the whole Christian science movement, who's got her writings and she says, read these as well. They will explain more. They are adding to Scripture. And maybe we downplay Scripture or we take away from it by suiting our own purposes, by hearing what Scripture says, but 
saying, this is what we think it says. Where's the pressure come from to do this? From society around us today. Society today will tell us how we are to interpret Scripture. There are many, many examples of those. Some of the laws coming through about society and murder and euthanasia. All these things. Society says, this isn't how you should think, Christians. We want you to think in this way. And when we listen to them as churches, and unfortunately many churches listen to the way society wants us to think, they take away from God's Word. Who are we, man, to do that? We aren't at liberty to alter God's Word. We aren't allowed to falsify God's Word. We aren't allowed to misinterpret God's Word. Modern liberal scholars need to take note here because they tamper with God's Word at their own peril and they'll teach us that there wasn't really the virgin birth. Just a a picture to teach us a lesson. But it didn't really happen. Come on. Think with your logical mind, how can someone be born from a virgin? What about Paul's writings? Do we believe them or don't we believe them? Do we have to see them in the light of the time period when they were written in? And that kind of, uh, it kind of diminishes from them and so we can take out this bit and take out this bit and take our scissors to our Bibles and after a while, if you look through the pages of Scripture, there's light all over the place and you've got nothing. Who are we to tamper with God's Word? Believe all of it as it's written, says the Lord to us. Don't tamper with it. Don't downplay it. Because if you do, Jesus says, I will add to you the plagues written in this book. Now here's the truth, and I pray it is the truth for you, that no true believer would ever deliberately tamper with Scripture. I'll say that again. No true believer would deliberately tamper with God's Word. Yes, sometimes, because we don't study it properly, we kind of make mistakes in our interpretation. Granted. That's why we've got various views on when Jesus will come and how it will happen, right? Someone's got to be wrong somewhere. There can't be four views that are correct. Only one. But that's not a deliberate Misuse of Scripture. That is us trying to grapple with God's Word and trying to understand because we're only human with little processes, right? And so in some of these areas we've got to agree to disagree until the Lord comes. Then we'll know which one's true. But no believer will deliberately tamper with God's Word. Why? Because we love the God who's given us that Word. And we love this Word because it's His breathed out Word to us. Why would we tamper with it? We love Him. It's only when we don't love Him that we have the temerity to start fiddling with His Word. Let's respect God's Word. Let's never be slapdash with God's Word. And that means in the way that we have our quiet times too, by the way. How do we handle God's Word? Do we actually study it and make intense study of it? Or we just... Oh yeah, that's my verse for today. Oh yeah, yeah, true, true. Let's carry on with it the rest of the day. Do we study God's Word? Oh, we slapdash with it. You see, slapdash has led to many, many, many people going off the track. Because they start reading verses out of context, and then 
Before you know it, there's error. And they believe that error and they go. Let's never be slapdash with God's Word. Because if we are, we are taking away from it. Or we are adding to it. You and I sometimes, as believers and in the church, make excuses to suit our own desires. And in that way, we take away from and add to God's Word. I'll give you one example. God's, God's Word says, but, I think. Here's an example. God's Word says, never be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. How can light and darkness mix? What does modern society say to us? Live together until you've tried thing, and then get married, if you get married. And if they're not a believer, well, you, you be the believer in the relationship. Bring them to the Lord. That's what society tells us. Now, when people have been unbelievers and then one has come to the Lord and they've seen the grace and their eyes have been opened, yes, then they are to be an influence on that person that they are with, right? But if you're starting out in a relationship and you're looking to get married, how can light mix with darkness, says the Lord? But we say, I'll give it a go. Taking away from God's Word. Adding to God's Word. How well do we study Scripture so that we make sure that we don't misinterpret God's Word? Do you make good use of your time in God's Word? The last way that we take away from Scripture is the way we live before the world. You see, as, as believers... We, we profess to love Jesus Christ. We profess to love His Word. And when people look at us from the world, they might see us living in a slightly different way to what we profess to say. And so they say, well, they say they believe in all these things, and, and yet we see them living in this way. They're hypocrites. And therefore God's Word can't be true. Do you see how we take away from God's Word? And so when we live before the world, we really need to live what we profess. We love the Lord and His commands to us. With the Spirit's help, let's live that way. And when we fall and we sin and the world sees us, let's ask the Lord's forgiveness. And let's go to those who have seen us and say, Hey, I stuffed up. I'm sorry. This isn't what it should be. But God has forgiven me. That's the way we should be living before the world. Because if we don't, that label of hypocrite sits on our lives and it takes away from God's Word. That's what Moses was saying to the people in Deuteronomy 4, verse 6 and 7. Live such a life so that when the nations look and they'll say, what great God is this? Look at these commands. What wise commands these people live to. Surely their God is a great God. Let's carry on. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, so who is that? Jesus Christ. Surely I am coming soon. Now, he who testifies to these things, who's he? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who's got the executive power to make all these things come about. He's the beginning and the end. He says, I am coming quickly. The word quickly is the Greek word tachy which um, 
is the same word we use for our rev counters, tachamita. All right? That little thing that tells you how fast the engine's spinning. Now, I can see Dave's impressed because I even know that. Oh, sorry, man. <laughs> see? I said to you. Dangerous. Technical. Sorry, Dave. I thought I had the right picture. So, the rev counter. What does the rev counter tell us? It doesn't tell us how far... It doesn't tell us... Well, yeah, I suppose... Yeah, I've used it too. Thank you, Marty. It tells us how fast that engine is running, right? It, run, it tells us how quickly it's going. And so that's the word we use here, lest my example distract completely from what I'm saying. He says, I am coming quickly. And so in Scripture, people have said, so where is he? Where is he? He hasn't come. Life's just carrying on, as we saw last week. 2,000 years ago, he said he's coming quickly. And now, where is he? Well, he says, I'm coming quickly. It's telling us how he's going to come. He's going to come when we least expect it. And so how do we get ready for someone who's going to come when we least expect him? It means we'd better be ready now. And we'd better be ready constantly for when he comes. Because he can come quickly. You see, the, old, the New Testament believers, I'm coming again quickly. They were ready in the lives that they lived before Him. Their candles were, their, their candles were lit before Him um, in some of those parables that Jesus told. They were ready for that bridegroom to come at any time. We have to live lives which are immediate before the Lord because He is coming quickly. Be ready at all times, He says. And so John's deep heart cry says, Come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come Lord Jesus. I'm sitting on this island in Patmos and the church has been persevering through so much hardship under the yoke of the Romans and those who would persecute us as believers come quickly Lord Jesus come quickly Maranatha come Lord Jesus today how, how do we prepare ourselves for his coming in the 80's there was a movement around on, uh, you can look it up on YouTube and Google and wherever else you want to look up these things. And people were getting ready for the Messiah's coming by selling their houses. And they were gathering together in church buildings throughout the whole week. They gave up their jobs. And they were just sitting in church buildings and they were singing hymns, listening to sermons, and just waiting for the Lord to reappear. And people from outside the community were bringing them food because they were worried these people were going to starve. They were getting ready for Jesus to come. Is that how we get ready for Him to come? Sell your house, put it on the market this week. Prices are going up still in Wanganui. Come here every day of the week so we can have more services. Get ready for His coming. No, that's not what it's saying. It says be continually ready for His coming. How do we do that? Someone came to John Wesley, a famous dead guy, and he's, they said to him, how do you... How would you get ready for the Lord's coming if you knew He was coming later this year? So John Wesley, the wise man, took out his diary. Which date is He coming, you're saying? And he looked it up and he said, Well, on that day I'll be doing this, this, this and this. And I'll be doing those things until I see Him. How do we get ready for His coming? Do what you do for Jesus Christ until you see Him reappear. 
And so if you're an accountant, you carry on in your business. And you do your accounting for Jesus Christ. And you work with those clients for Jesus Christ until you see Him reappearing. And if you're a medical doctor, you look after people with the love that Jesus would show them until you see Him reappearing. And if you deal with difficult clients, you look after them and you show them the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ until you see Him reappearing. And if you're a student, you're diligent at your studies and you study as if you're doing it for Jesus Christ because He can see your marks anyway and you work for Him until you see Him reappearing. And if you're looking after your children, look after them as if it's Jesus' own children which He's given to you to look after until you see Him reappearing. That's how we prepare for Him coming. Do what you do until you see Him. But do it for Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I, I referred to that last week, but I want to read it to you this week. Colossians chapter 3. 3 verse 1 to 4. This is how we prepare for Jesus' coming. Listen to these wise words. If you have been raised with Christ, if you're a believer here today, in other words, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Remember those pictures in Revelation? In all His glory. Seek those things. Set your minds on things that are above. You see, the world around us wants us to set our eyes on it. On the bright baubles of life. On those ads on TV that give you even more gadgets and take your money away. Set your, your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died in Christ. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. There's the long-term picture for your life. And so whatever you are going through now, if you're a believer, you are in Christ. He is in you. Set your mind on those things. Live your life now, yes, but set your mind on where you're going. In aviation, when I was doing my training, they always used to say to us, your mind needs to be ahead of the plane, otherwise you go where your mind is. So I need to be thinking ahead of where I'm going at 300 k's an hour. Because otherwise I'll be in the ground real quick. If your mind is on the things of the world, that's where your life will be heading. If your mind is on the things of Jesus Christ, that's where your whole life will be heading, even though you're still on this earth and doing what you're doing. Where are you heading? Where are your eyes set? I love this last verse, and I'm kind of don't want to get there, but I'm here. Verse 21. It's kind of sad in one way. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace and peace was a common closing in books, in letters they used to write in the New Testament. But he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. What is Jesus' grace? It's God's love and His goodness poured out on us who didn't deserve it. We sang this morning, we were still rebels to your grace. 
We were walking away from you at full tilt. We were running from you. We had our ears blocked. We didn't want to hear about God. That's the way we were living. But your Holy Spirit arrested us there and turned our eyes to Jesus Christ and helped us to see that we were going to death for eternity. That's grace. When we least deserved it, God showed us His love. We were rebels. And He pardoned our sins. And He covered our lives with the gift of eternal life. That's the grace of Jesus. That grace, that grace which is sufficient for every single trouble that you might be going through, His grace is far more sufficient than anything that you might be experiencing. You might have someone who's sick in your home. You might have your marriage partner who's been sick for many years and as you look at him or her, you see them wasting away and your heart cries out, Lord, His grace is sufficient for you. The grace of Jesus Christ be with you until He reappears. Let it be so, Lord. Amen. Says God's word. Let's receive that grace humbly. You see, a proud heart can't receive that grace. We need to humble ourselves. Your Bible might say, um, the grace of the Lord be with all the saints. We need to humble our hearts before Him and accept this offer of God's salvation. And when we do, we will find Him to be a gracious God to us. Amen. What do we do with this? Three things. There are only three things I can say here. First thing is this. Come to Jesus Christ, says the book of Revelation. If you're an unbeliever here today, if you have not yet bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if you are still in the driving seat of your life, this book says to you, come to Christ. And it's fitting that God's Word should close with words of invitation. You see, way back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, the curse of God came down on mankind. And right there in Genesis chapter 3, God made a way for man to come back to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ, who was prophesied about then. And in God's own plan of salvation, in His time for this world and for people, Jesus Christ did appear. And He died for your sin. Would you today turn your back on that great gift of love to you? Revelation says to you, come to Jesus Christ. Be saved. The second message of Revelation is this. And it's one of the main points of this book. And it's this, to you as believers, faithful endurance till the end will result in eternal blessing for you. He promised that to us. And it will bring glory to the Father. Those two things. It's the theme of the book of Isaiah as a men's group. We've been going through a fantastic book of Isaiah which points to the coming again of the Lord and to the Messiah. But this is the constant theme through this. You need to live lives of obedience. Why? Because it will bring you blessings. So yes, there's benefits to us. 
us consumers, we like that bit. But also, as we live lives of blessing, it will glorify God. Those two things always go together. And so, the main point of the book of Revelation is that if we endure, we will experience the blessing of that endurance because God will have His grace on our lives, right? And the world will see us enduring, going through hard times. And they will say, how can that be? Surely, they serve a great God. God will be glorified. And so, we need to be asking ourselves, is faithful endurance the stamp which characterizes our lives? When you look at your own life over these past few years, your Christian walk before the Lord is the stamp on your life, faithful endurance. Or is it constantly walking away, coming back, walking away, coming back, up and down. Faithful endurance to the end. When we look at our church life, Wanganui East Baptist, this church has been going for over a hundred years. When we look at the life of this church, can we see stamped on the life of this church, faithful endurance. Or do we play around with God's Word? How seriously has the self-centered, self-fulfillment focus of this culture we live in affected our obedience, our personal obedience to the Lord? Are we self-focused, becoming self-fulfilled, and we don't live obedient lives before the Lord? The book of Revelation calls us, it says, Endure to the end. Because those who are faithful to the end will be blessed and you will glorify the Father. And so when you find yourself as a believer going through stuff, when you go to the doctors and they give you that report and he says, please sit down, I need to speak to you. God is faithful till the end. His grace is sufficient for you. Listen to that news and immediately lift your eyes to Jesus Christ. Don't look at the wind and the waves around you because your soul will immediately plunge into a depression. Look at Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes and your mind on Jesus Christ and He's coming again. Endure to the end. And then the last thing we can say in this book is Come Lord Jesus Christ. It should be the heart cry of every believer. But unfortunately, the heart cry of many of us is now, come next good gadget. Come next model cell phone. Come Lord Jesus. Lord, keep that prayer foremost in our lives. Keep our eyes on where we are going so that our lives will follow. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise this morning. Because you are trustworthy. And Lord, as we've been going through this book of Revelation, and we've seen those beautiful pictures of you enthroned in heaven, covered in glory, surrounded by your angels, and those who wish are worshipping you in heaven, crying out with endless singing of praise. As we've seen those pictures of the torment of those 
who have not listened and who will not listen to the good news of the gospel and the judgment they will go through for eternity. Thank you that you are trustworthy, that you have the power to keep those promises you've made, promises of blessing and promises of judgment. Lord, thank you for loving mankind so much that you gave your only Son to us, the only Son of the living God, the one who is God himself, so that there would be a way back to God, made ready by God. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus Christ to redeem us from our sin. Because otherwise we would still be lost forever. And thank you, Lord, for that promise that we have in Revelation and right through your word that one day we will be able to enter your presence. And Lord, we've started getting a taste of that now because you are in the midst of us. And we can enter your presence with confidence. But Lord, thank you that when you reappear, we will see you with our very own eyes. And we will enter your presence with confidence. The confidence of being in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that glorious future. And we look forward to it, Lord, when we also will appear with Christ in glory. And Lord, we, ha- we ask you to help us this morning as we go from this place with all these studies we've done through this book of Revelation, this book which was to be a blessing for us. Help us to long for heaven. Help us to set our minds on things that are above and not on things that are on the earth. And give us this heavenly perspective as we go about our daily lives, especially as we relate to those who still do not yet know Jesus Christ. Use us as your people, for your glory and for our blessing, we pray. Amen.